Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can find me personally at Justin Bizarro. Even though I give everyone at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs, everyone always DMs me my personal account. I've noticed I didn't really catch it because I flipped back and forth. But today I was like, wow, everyone still uses that one. I guess that's fine. There's also a phone number on the um, Instagram account. You guys can use that. Text me or call if you want to be on the show or you have questions for the uh, individuals that come onto the podcast. With that being said, I have a re- recommendation that was passed on to me to come on the podcast. I'm happy to make this happen. Jason Winters of Speak Cheesy, how are you doing today? Fantastic. How are you? I'm 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 pretty good. Uh, the Nashville allergies are just like weirdly crazy. I never knew how bad my allergies would be. It's year round. The dogwoods literally bloom every day. Like it's like every day I go outside and my allergies go. So that's been interesting. Um, but. It's all right. It's all right. You got the music. We have the weather. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about your story, Jason. Like, how did you end up in food? Like, I mean, what's your family background? Was there any entrepreneur family? Stuff like that. And then how'd you end up in the the pizza space? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, my my mother wasn't really a good cook at all. I think she served us raw chicken one time. And I can recall it's very raw. Um, she made a couple things well. Um, I think where I learned or got, where I got into cooking, I, I have three Thai stepsisters that entered my life when I was eight years old. So I have very fond memories of stepping on a stool when I was like eight, nine, helping my older sister, Sarah, cook Thai food. Um, so I'm this white, this white dude and I have these three Asian stepsisters and um, it kind of, you know, taught me the spicy, sour, sweet, salty. I was eating sticky rice and eggs and sriracha with fish sauce for breakfast in the morning. Um, it just kind of got me into into just flavors and food in general. So I think that's when I kind of knew. Um, I used to watch, I don't know if you remember the show, Great Chefs, Great Cities, um, and Graham Care. Yeah, so, I love that show. Love that right? show. I basically you'd get drunk on on air and cook, you know. So it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I remember, that's exactly I what just, happened. Yeah, you'd get drunk, uh, white wine, red wine, uh, whatever. But um, I remember sending my mom to Alpha Beta one time to she. Um, I added onto her shopping list. I tried adding on foie gras, and she said she couldn't find it at Alpha Beta. Um, which is an old school uh, supermarket chain. So I, I've always loved to cook. Um, was very passionate about it. Was very creative. I started when I was uh, when I was fifteen. I started working in a restaurant and a catering company, and then I moved out to Vegas after high school. Uh, got a job at the Bellagio. Worked for like three five stars, uh, three James Beard Award winning chefs. Uh, worked for Suzanne Goen. I was one of her chefs at like Luke and Cavern. Um, trained at AOC, and that kind of brought me to uh, another position. I was working in an Italian restaurant making pizza, and I always told everyone I wanted to tow a wood burning oven behind my car. 
and make pizza. This was 12 years ago. When it didn't really <laughs> you exist. really said that? Uh, you really said that. I was that. crazy, but I ended, up, I ended up eventually doing it. Dude, that's awesome. I just can't. I can't imagine saying I would tow a pizza thing behind my car, but it is everywhere now. Um, let's yeah. go back to this. Let's go back to this very pivotal moment. Like I call these entrepreneurial pivots, where there are these life experiences that hugely pivot our lives and our trajectory. So, you have three Thai sisters that come into your life. Did you say they were stepsisters or adopted yeah, sisters? Step- so yeah, e- explain to me this, because there's such an integration here of both culture, uh, family, and food, okay? Like, mm-hmm. what was that, like, so you're eight, so I've got to imagine you spent another 10 years in your house, probably, in this environment. What was that like? Because up until eight, your life was <laughs> for raw chicken, potentially. And you talked yeah. about all the sweet, the sour, the spicy, uh salty I think um, maybe I missed it but the um, talk to me a little bit about this dynamic in your life and and you talked about being in restaurants but what was it like to be a kid in that scenario with when you're a boy and you're an only child yeah I was I mean I was an only child my family was Canadian I was the first born um, American in my family so uh, Canadians are pretty boring in the in the food and culture department, I would say. Um, so having them walk into my life was pretty cool. I mean, my sister Kathy is two months younger than me, and we went through school as step twins. And you know, we would just trick everybody all the time um, that we were siblings, and and uh, you know, everyone had a crush on her, and you know, um, it, it was just. The, di- the dynamic was pretty cool. You know, it, it made me who I am today. I mean, I love um, Asian culture. Um, I, you know, most of the girlfriends I've had, my wife is from the Philippines. I've always kind of been surrounded by it. So it makes me very open-minded as a chef about, as you need to be, but a little more open-minded when it comes to, you know, and knowledge of like Asian cuisine as well. So it's been cool. And how much has that influenced your business now? How much has Asian cuisine influenced what you're doing now? Um, Not much. I mean, in the pizza world, you can have nuances of it. You can have like a special that you do. Um, I mean, I I started the black garlic uh, pizza uh, many years ago. Uh, I was trying to figure out when I started Urban Pie, I was trying to figure out what my white pie my signature white pie was going to be. And, you know, usually it's just, you know, white cheese and garlic and basil, olive oil, sea salt. Um, I was eating a bowl of ramen and they had that black garlic oil that you can add on top of your ramen. And I literally had a napkin next to me and I was writing out some pizza ideas and that's where the black garlic was born. So fermented black garlic definitely has some Asian influences. It tastes like tamarind, balsamic, uh, truffle. So it played really well. It was a big hit. Um, chili crisp right now is very popular with pizza, like the chili oils and the chili crisp kind of embracing like that fried crispy, you know, bits that you get from like Chinese cookery and like the fried chilies. And, um, you know, you can find that on pizza. Um, something that we used to do is take fermented, um, Koji paste 
and we would add it into our uh, pizza sauce. Uh, got that idea from uh, Andy Wang from Food and Wine Magazine. Oh my gosh, that this. sounds amazing! I've never yeah, heard of that it, before. It makes the tomato more tomatoey for sure, but it's pricey, so it, you know you can't do it on every pizza. Um, I've done the banh mi pizza, where you know Vietnamese, so no dairy. Um, you know, kind of tricky, but we were able to make a pate out of mortadella and chicken livers and pipe it on like ricotta um, onto a pizza with like Vietnamese sausage and we would cook it and it would kind of melt down like ricotta. Um, it would have that flavor that you would expect in a banh mi where they smear the pate and then we'd put all the, the usual suspects on top. So we were doing a pop-up with a uh, hanchik in LA, which is um, young your generation Koreans uh, opening really kind of hip uh, newer type California Korean restaurants here in Los Angeles. We're going to be doing a pop-up. Um, so yeah, there's some Asian influence, I guess here and there. And so I'm just, how did you end up on pizza? If you've been like, I fear like you're eight years old, there's so much Thai influence in your life right now so much asian influence including your wife and your kids and your family why i like just like i still am like how pizza like it just seems such a trajectory change just because it's uh, something that stuck because you said you were going to pull it behind your car i'm just curious because it's just like it seems like i love it because i think you're doing really well at it i'm just like it seems so out of the ordinary comparatively like it's like a weird juxtaposition but it worked for you for sure don't get me wrong i'm just curious um that was more of the entrepreneurial (laughs) like spirit in me um deciding to do pizza right yeah and it's almost like you were trying to find something different and unique that you could have a passion about that wasn't part of your family in the same way but supported your family look when i was 11 there was an episode of the Simpsons where they lit the, the flaming Homer on fire and there was a line out the door. And I think I, I, I created a business card when I was 11 years old. I wanted to do a coffee shop at 11 years old, um, you know, way before Starbucks took over. And I wanted to put Bacardi 151 and light it on fire. And it was going to be called the flaming mug cafe. So I was always a little like, what am I going to do that's different? No, it has to be different. You know, it has to be unique. Um, I started pushing sourdough pizza eight years ago um, because, well, the story was it was hot one summer and we were out out in the elements, but started pushing sourdough eight years ago before anybody did we started towing around a trailer before anybody did um you know we were working on a frozen frozen cannabis pizza line when when that whole transition was going over so we're always trying to push forward maybe think five years ahead you know not too far ahead but you know five ten years ahead everyone will catch up eventually so when did you start your business officially 2012 so you've been doing this for about 11 years now 11 years yeah so i got let, very lucky i got very lucky how it started tell me about tell that why. okay cool um i had these guys that were following me around at these fancy restaurants that i worked at for about seven years um they would always sit at the chef's counter or 
come in for dinner. I established a relationship with them. Um, we would do some holidays together every once in a while. Um, I was burnt out. I was overpaid. I knew that I was going to be on the shopping block at Brick Pizzeria in San Clemente. And I was just way overpaid. I had to work way too much to keep labor down. So um, I uh, called up Muaini because I found out that there was a, a mobile wood-burning oven that was available that was on the market. Um, I got connected with some loan sharks for this horrible, you know, you buy the oven for 23 and you, you owe 70 in a year and a half. Um, and so I, I took that deal. I called my friends up. Uh, they told me not to sign anything to come into their office on Monday. This was on a Thursday and that they would help me out. So I had two pieces of paper stapled together, a little manila folder, gave them my spiel that I was going to tow around this oven, told them that I was going to be in Coachella because um, I had an end to get into Coachella. And that was kind of the bargaining piece that they, they wanted to see. So I, you know, awesome. they stopped me. They stopped me. Uh, Chris opens up his personal checkbook. He says, Jason, how much do you need? And I said, 60000 He writes a check for $60,000, hands it to me, and says, pay me back. That's it. Just like that's a lot of trust, but I guess what people are missed what I what I what we hear in like one minute is that you built a relationship over seven years, right? Yeah, you built a long term yeah. relationship. It was never about the money; it was just about servicing the customer and serving good food and doing the right thing and consistency and discipline. And that's what they were attracted to. I have to assume. Yes. So you get the check for sixty grand. What happens next? My wife's six months pregnant. Uh, I quit my job. I start purchasing my oven, my fridge, my mixer, my tent, my sidewalls, my hand washing station, all that stuff, and started gearing up to hit breweries and farmers markets and uh, whatever I could. Um, the first month was on the phone for the phone and the computer for about fourteen hours a day, just calling people, just getting the name out there, finalizing logos, um, setting up insurance, setting up the bank account, um, and just outreach, you know, to everyone that I knew to try and get the ball rolling. And so it started to take off. We, we got into Coachella our first year. That was huge for us. Um, worked illegally out of my garage for two and a half years. Uh, the health department came knocking one day, uh, with a sheriff. So we opened the doors to the garage and the garage was awkwardly empty, kind of like Kaiser Soze and usual suspects as he's like walking away. Um, little did they know that the day before we moved all of our kitchen refrigerators, ice machines, mixers, everything to our commerce location that we, that we, uh, that we picked up for 84 cents a square foot. Holy crap. Um, Talk about in a warehouse district. So there's been a lot of moments like, like those, a lot of like kismet moments. Jeez. Like, like, okay, we're on the right path moment. Like, uh, that was, that was was urban pie. That was urban pie. And then it transitioned into speak cheesy. And there was a similar lightning in a bottle moment. 
explain that to me. Um, or keep going, keep going with your story. What happens yeah, after yeah, keep this? Keep going, keep going. Um, so leading up to the pandemic, I had a severe pain in my left ankle. Um, it was a really, really tough time for me um, emotionally, uh, physically, and mentally. Um, I, you know, finally went in and had it checked out and found out that I had arthritis in my left ankle. I could barely, I could barely walk after on a Sunday after all the catering events on, uh, you know, Thursdays, Friday, Saturday, Wednesday, you know, by the time I made it to Sunday, I, I couldn't walk. Um, literally. Um, I had, I had kids, I had a wife and I felt like a, a limp. Um, I went in, they drilled a hole in my bone. They filled it with cement. Um, this was in the middle of the pandemic. Everything was shut down. Uh, there was no parties. There was nothing. And, um, and they filled it and literally everyone was like, we're done working. <laughs> and here I come out of the hospital and within the next day I was walking with no pain and I was so happy to be in that moment and be able to like use my body again and just have my mind back um, that I was like, well, it's my turn, you know, it's my turn to, to, to do something again um, and just kind of remember where, where it came from, make something happen. So we started to get some parties again, you know, we'd have, I think we had an event for Octavia Spencer for like 150 people. Nobody wanted to work. It was the two of us. And so we started baking our sourdough pizzas out of the wood burning oven. We would box them all. We'd cook them like seven eighths of the way or three quarters of the way. We're super high heat to keep the moisture in the dough. So we we're cooking at like 900. They would go in for 60 seconds. We'd pull them out and then we'd finish them in like a 770 degree oven. And they were turning out great, just like that second bake on an on a New York slice. Why the, the slice is sometimes better than the whole pie is because it's cooked twice. So finally, you know, we were getting our doughs from like kind of Neapolitan and then blending flours to like getting that crispy bottom. And so we went out, it was me and one dude, Gage, my sous chef, we crushed it. Everyone was really happy. And then we continued doing that. It was um I was doing a drive-in movie theater off Sunset. It gets really windy up there sometimes um, at, at some hotel. I can't remember the name. And I was by myself with this new method that we have now. Um, and now my guy can go off and do an event, and I can go off and do an event. We don't have to be there together. So it was more profitable for the business. So it was windy in the, the movie theater or the, the drive-in. I had to turn away my line because it came all at once. And I told everyone, come back in 10 minutes. So I put all of my equipment in back inside the van. I put my Gosney Rockbox propane oven back inside the van, tilted the doors to block the wind, and then I kept cooking for everybody. And we had these carbic pizzas, and I was able to get through service, and you know, people were happy, and I kind of turned it all around. Um, after that, it was just, that was kind of the lightning in the bottle moment. It was like, you know what? I have to find a smarter way. Um, I have to keep preserve my my body, my ankles. I have to find a better way than towing around these five thousand pound ovens with minimum of two guys and stretching fresh at events and being out all day. So we just started treating it like a bakery, um, and we got a piece of plywood. We got a metro rack. We put it behind the the van, 
Um, we fastened it in. I had cement in a piping bag and we started like cutting holes and building cabinets. And next thing you know, we had this, this burnt wood red cabinet in the back of our van. We would open the doors and there was a hole cut with a propane oven behind it. And what did that mean? Well, that meant that I can load this thing with 150 pizzas and I by myself could drive all around LA. And if I wanted to stop on Hollywood Boulevard in front of Spider-Man, open the doors with a megaphone and start yelling free pizza and, and you know, for, you know, going live on Instagram, then I could if I wanted to. And I didn't have that option. That's awesome. I, I could literally go anywhere. I can love it. Fucking love it. So I started hitting up Andy Wang from Food and Wine, who never really had a part of Urban Pie before. I would hit up Jen Harris, couldn't get a hold of her. I hit up Phil Rosenthal. He was extremely responsive. Jen Harris messaged me, says she's going to be at Phil's house. It just started turning in this chain reaction where we're cooking for all these people. We're driving around. It's like we're on tour in LA, like all the influencers, you know, 40 stories a night, share, share, you know, like, bookmarks, sends, everything. It was just, it was like on fuego. And so Andy, to the point to where Andy would have us in his front yard every Monday and, you know, Roy Choi's manager would be there and Shirley Chung would be there. And Elizabeth Faulkner was there. Tacos 1986 is hanging out. You have Moosecraft Barbecue. And then the next week it's a completely different lineup. And we would just be cooking for them. We did these like sous vide egg yolks that we would put above the oven in olive oil and it would temper to like 140 and we would take these like capsuled egg yolks out and put them on a slice of a pie with guanciale or we'd do pink radicchio with like organzola dolce and we'd drape prosciutto over and we were doing like kind of fancy stuff out of the van just to like show off you know um and so it just kind of took off it was the most fun i've ever had in my entire life um, the people, Gage and Katie, that did it with me and that were there by my side are in Colorado now. And, you know, I know that I can call them at any time and we're going to always share that experience because it, it was it was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. So it kind of got us to our, our brick and mortar. And now I have a lunch crew in there. Oh, hey, guys, we have a catering for 350 people on Friday, okay, and they get in three hours early, they're there at 6 a.m., they bake all the pies, they get loaded on the vans, two guys go drive out in the van, they go to a party for three hours with 350 people and they crush it. I never get a call for catering anymore, ever, because of this new way that we do things. So clients don't call me, um, my, my chefs, my catering managers, nobody complains, it's easy. And we can go do six events with two bands in one day. So it's also enabled us to say, hey, you want a thousand pizzas in one hour? No problem. We can do that for you in a, in a heartbeat. Well, I and love this just, because if you've ever been to a wedding, that's always the problem mm-hmm. if you have the pizza trailer or truck. Yeah. Yeah. They want the wood oven, but the wood oven's going to be slower, you know? And now we're like, people are grabbing more slices. They're getting their fill. They're happier. The line's moving quickly. They're crispier on the bottom. We're smiling. We're clean. We're in merch. We're laughing. We're having a good time. The innovation is ridiculous, dude. Mm -hmm. Seriously. 
Like I'm blown away by this because it is just so entrepreneurial. There's so much entrepreneurial ingenuity in this. And yeah. it's just all around the business model now, which is why I understand the name. Overall, the business model now lends itself to a much better run pizza business, ironically. Um, even though yeah. you couldn't think it could be run any better because they just seem to all be the same. They're like, it must be really good because everyone's doing it the same way. But it's not we're true. All, we're, always, we're always changing things. We yeah. bring in... You know, different bags of flour, and okay, let's let's put five percent, take out five percent of this, let's put in five percent of that. Okay, let's do ten. You know, we'll we always mess around with uh, with with new. You know, now we're before you know it was it was double zero, and now it's neo New York. You know, we're we're, we're trying to do the industry type pizza, um, which is one of the best pizzas we had when we were in New York recently. I'm sure everyone's aware of it, Lindustry. But uh, we have grandmas, we have Sicilians, we have thin and crispy. We're going to do Chicago slices. Um, we're getting our soft serve machine. That's soon. awesome. Mm -hmm. So let's go back for a second. What's your favorite style of pizza, you personally? And what's your favorite pizza that you enjoy the most? And then we, I, I know you were talking about flavors and different kinds or different pizzas and I want to get into some of those like your best sellers but what's your personal favorite um I so I started in double zero like Napolitan and that was my favorite in the beginning um but we I was always chasing a crispier pizza um what I like about ours is I would say I would say Lindustry was my favorite pizza um thin not just white flour, uh, blends of flour, some whole grains, um, some malted, some AP, some double zero, some bread flour, just blending um, flours is, is, you can taste it in the dough and the flavor. You can see it when in, in the cornice, you can see a little speckle of, of red fife. Um, and then just having that larger pie where pushing 18 inch pies now the slice that you can pick up that doesn't droop um it needs to have a shell around the cornice it's crunchy but it needs to be like soft and pillowy on the inside and use a dissolve in your mouth that can't it can't hurt your gums or be chewy that's kind of the style that we're my my favorite style as of right now but it, it could change <laughs> it, it it will change it should change you know what i mean yeah, absolutely. And what what do you like on your pizza? Um, on my pizza, I am trying to be more of a purist these days, and and just uh, sauce, cheese, um, uh, good sauce, uh, slightly tangy, uh, not too sweet, coarse. Um, Grande mozzarella or a really good quality mozzarella, um, handmade mozzarella, fiorta latte. I mean, really, that's the base of it. Uh, sausage from raw, not perfect sausage, not sausage crumbles, but a really good quality house ground sausage um, just baked onto the pie. Like, those are kind of the things I'm leaning 
towards now is more of that New York, like simple style. Um, but I do, I, I love the purple Brussels sprouts when they're in season. We'll toss those in chili oil, lemon zest, lemon juice, and bake them with like guanciale. Um, I love uh, the Weiser Farms um, magenta uh, potatoes that he has. We'll kind of line them on a sheet tray, bake them, pull them out, and then we'll lay them on the pie and they'll bake again. They'll get kind of chippy. That would have like raclette and like rosemary cream and mozzarella. Um, trying to think. Though, I mean, I love, I do love like vegetables on pies, like that Bloomsdale spinach with like za'atar and feta, um, galleta olives, a salsa with like feta and herbs, ton of za'atar. Like those are, that's called the Bloomsdale. That's on our menu right now. So you have to have a little California vibe like that. But I mean, our number one seller is obviously our cheese and pepperoni. The, the tie dye. Yeah, everyone goes for the like the staple still, the cheese and the pepperoni. It's because we get comfortable as humans and we don't experiment sometimes. But I'm like, I love all the variations and I like that your background. So let's talk about before you started the business, you were you were a chef and you were in the the restaurants and stuff like that. What tell me about that experience and being a chef in training in those environments and how they lent that lent themselves to what you do now. Yeah, uh, uh, when I worked for Julian Serrano at Picasso in the Bellagio, um, he just came from Massa in San Francisco, which was rated the number, uh, the best restaurant in San Francisco 14 years in a row. Um, so I trained under Julian and Yoshimiro Honda, which was his chef de cuisine. And that was, you know, I was young. I worked for uh, Alex Strada, who was the first guy to work American, allowed to work for Ducasse in France, um, who was also Italian. So I had that like really hardcore French-Italian background with Alex Strada. And then with Julian, it was very much like technical, you know, entremetier, um, poissonier, uh, garmage, like meat station. Um, so I started off uh, as carrot boy at Picasso and I would tourney carrots and Julian would come behind me and he would hit me on the back of the head. He would kick me on the ankle and he would call me little girl in Spanish and always tell me to move faster literally every time he walked by me. So like 20 times a day, he would do that to me while I was tourneying these carrots to the point to where I, I would do one a minute and then I, I would do six a minute. Um, and so just understanding like being pushed, pushing yourself to go faster, it's a mental thing. Like your heart's got to be pumping if you're peeling that carrot. Like you got to be like almost sweating. You know, you you your heart rate is up. Like you're not just peeling a carrot. Like so a lot of like technical knife work, butchery, quenelles, um, you know, eight quarts of truffles, all you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, holding a, a thing of caviar and eating, you know, doing bumps of caviar on on uh, on like hot app station and before each service and just super high end, like five star cuisine at both those places. And then once I came back to California, I thought it was all hot shit. And so I started getting chef de cuisine and chef jobs and, and uh, you know, got really creative and had a lot of fun doing my own thing and writing menus. And then I ended up working for Suzanne Goen, 
who was probably the best chef that I ever worked for. Um, just an amazing spirit, um, a very classic lady, um, a very particular style and like way of doing things. And, and so we kind of learned that like shape in Nice farmer's market, you know, all the sous, I was a sous chef. So every Wednesday I'm at the Santa Monica farmer's market and we're loading a U-Haul truck full of produce and, everything from an onion to a carrot in the restaurant was from the farmer's market. Um, and then the whole animals coming in through the back door and breaking down whole lamb and pigs and rabbits and hens. And, you know, so I, I got a lot of that from Suzanne. That's pretty much my, a majority of my culinary background. That's so cool. Actually, that's a really cool story. Um, and I, I'm sure there's way more to it, but I get the, like the the like you can move faster okay and we don't have time to talk about it little girl we've just got to keep moving faster like i get that mentality sometimes and there's no time to talk about it just move faster and um yeah. and it's weird because as an entrepreneur i totally understand it because there's times like and i learned this just by being growing up in an, in an entrepreneurial world but also being in food is that there's like just get it done there's time to talk about it later like when the food's done being served you want to have an argument about it let's talk about why are you kicking me in the ankles and they get they're probably gonna be like because you can move faster and i believe in you yeah. and whatever else but it's not probably gonna yeah. be a little harder than you want to hear it but you at least will get an explanation but it's this weird thing in food particularly and being an entrepreneur in food is that there's a lot of this that goes on if we properly harness which is just get it done now we can always talk about it later like and it's just mm -hmm. like and I learned that at a really young age. And even with my father, I was like, Sh shut up, eat it. If you don't like it, we'll talk about it later. But you're going to eat it because we're in blah, blah, blah country. And don't be respectful to them. You know, disrespectful. Yeah. Be respectful yeah. to them. And, yeah. and I think there was a lot of that. And I think there's a lot of that in understanding other cultures too, which you were just immersed in by, the, by eight years old, by the nature of your family immersion. And mm -hmm. like, I think there's a lot of things that you just pull out that are so cool and that ability to think outside the box, which you're like, oh, well, let's just continue this momentum of building it out in the van. Um, yeah. What is your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? Like, what are the things that you enjoy the most? Mm. Shopping. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, I mean, you're always looking at the numbers as an entrepreneur. It's a game. You know, you want to, you want to see, you, you, you want to see how to get them up. You want to see how to save them. Um, you know, like it's, that that portion of it, um, and I know that sounds very businessy, right? But like I'm not in front of my staff right now. Like I'm talking on a podcast. Like in front of my staff, I'm not gonna say that. Like, but like it's yeah, but just a numbers game. Like like it's the creativity of being a chef and cooking for people, making people happy, being a part of your community, but also like looking at that all like a number to where, uh, okay, I'm getting this soft serve machine and we're going to do an olive oil gelato out of one side and we're going to do this out of the other side. And then I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do vanilla. Oh, I love, love that. The, the kids are going to love the olive oil gelato and they're going to learn to love it. And, 
you know, and then just seeing the, the profits from that investment, you know, and so I'm just trying to make my business the best that it can possibly be right now to, to find out what the mold is, you know, to where if, if I'm going to do another one, you know, and I look at it from a very kitchen standpoint of view, like I don't want servers. I'm putting QR codes on tables. The kitchen can talk to people in the front case and educate them, you know, and it, it's very, all the tips are going back to the staff. Um, you know, it's just, it's a pizza shop. So, um, I don't know, just, just trying to look at it differently. You know, we're buying machineries to ball pizza dough. We're buying sheeters to sheet cannoli. We can sheet pasta. We can sheet thin and crispy. We can do Chicago style pizza out of that. Um, just, uh, we need a water filtration system so that we can have filtered water for our pizza dough and for our staff. Um, just like, like all these little things I love learning about. I love putting, I love investigating about them, finding out which ones are the best and why and getting recommendations and calling other chefs and making that purchase. It's like, for my business, it's like I'm buying a toy, you know, it's not like I'm buying like something for my business. It's like I'm buying a toy, like something that's for my restaurant, you know, that's going to help it grow. It's like a baby. So, but yeah, I just love that thrill of like everything combined, you know, just, just growing it, looking at, you know, the financials, looking at the culture of the restaurant, looking at the community and their response, just analytically, you know? I love it. I think I agree with you. I love the information, the data and collecting it and then adjusting and pivoting around it. So that's one of my favorite mm -hmm. things to do for sure. Yeah. Um, I just, and I like being in the business and I like the questions that I get to ask to find more information. Like I love the investigation onto the entrepreneurial ingenuity as we keep talking about and like I don't know why, and I and I really enjoyed the business and the money side of it too, and and there's been occasions where I've turned over that to other people and I've been not involved in, and the business hasn't done as well because I think if you don't enjoy it, you're just not going to manage the money as well as someone who enjoys it. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And yeah, um, absolutely. And, and you likes can, I mean, collecting. Even though, even though you're watching your money, yeah. you're trying to make more money. You're trying to save money. You're also learning how to be generous with your money. You're also exactly. learning how to donate to, you know, Long Beach City College, uh, the President's Circle, and you know, learn. You're learning about, you know, the marketing aspect behind giving out your money, or just giving people free things, you know, or giving people merch or kid cups and here's a hat. Like, you know, I mean, you're still giving it away as well. You're still doing nice things for people. Yeah, I agree with you. So from like a um, ethos standpoint, like core value standpoint, Jason, what do you feel that like, what is that ethos that you pass on to your employees or team members? Um, what is that, you know, that core values that you feel that make the business successful? Like what are the things that, how are you getting everyone to deliver the way that you deliver? And what is that? What is that leadership, those leadership skills for lack of a better term also? Um, I mean, the number one thing is building a team and, and teamwork and having everyone function as a team, 
Um, we all, I, I tell them all the time, you know, we function as a team. We all look good together. We all look bad together. Um, you know, that's probably, probably the number one thing for me is to see a team, um, to see the culture and people's individual talents, um, to build that team. I think, uh, um, empowering them, um, they know that they have every ability of ex trying to exceed our guests' expectations. Um, if there's a negative situation, uh, it's called the ultimate defect. When someone walks away, they might have had a negative experience, but we didn't even care enough to look for that negative experience. We, we So I try and teach them to go out of their way to try and find that negative experience and don't let them walk out the door um, before trying to fix it and do whatever you can to fix it you know and it's not always just giving away free stuff um those are your lifelong customers so for us uh it's a lot of customer service and then understanding the ultimate defect um i think um um you know we try to treat each other with uh, honest honesty respect and dignity in the kitchen um Honesty is good for peer pressure and for, you know, keep accountability, um, respecting each other, meaning we, we don't allow cussing in our kitchen. We don't cuss at each other. We don't talk badly at each other. We remain professional. And then dignity is just the way that we carry ourselves on the court and off the court, you know, that we're, you know, that, you know, life in general you know and how we get through life so i always try to be a mentor to the staff in there um with that as well um very cool they all come back you know that's part of the process you in the beginning you want to be nice to every you want to be nice to everybody you have one guy or two guys and they they kind of walk all over you right but then you know that you have these negative experiences with staff as well, where they leave in a, a way that you never thought they would, or they get disgruntled towards the end. And it's like uh, the Salem, you know, witch trials all of a sudden where people are pointing fingers and they leave. And then next thing you know, five years later, they're calling you, they're visiting you. Um, they're, they're paying their respect and they're, they're saying how much that they learned from you. So try to be a little tough and honest with them sometimes. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I, and that's what I'm like, the best thing is like one fast. No is way better than a slow. Yes. Or a never delivering on what you say you're going to do. Like just Ooh. tell them no. But also it's like, I agree with you. There has to be like a respect and an honesty and a directness that exists that's fair for everyone but it's also in a positive way or in an environment where people can feel they can grow mm -hmm. and so like i just i think what you said is just so spot on jason so as we start closing things off here like what is it that if you could go tell another entrepreneur or tell yourself something you wish you knew 12 years ago or 11 years ago that you wish you knew now what would it be um, I mean, be patient, um, trust yourself, um, listen to yourself and, and believe in yourself over anybody else. 
uh, even your own family won't believe in you sometimes. Um, so you just have to really persevere through that when you're starting a business and you just have to, you just have to trust the process. You know, some people, they, it, it just hits right away um, or after a year or two. Some people have to, you know, put in a decade of work before they really, you know, before it really starts paying off, you know, the right way, maybe, and maybe more, it, it, it all catch up eventually, you know, so just to keep, keep the nerves calm. Um, each day is a new day, learn from it, move on and just be patient. It, it's some, it just, it takes time. You just have to keep grinding and eventually it'll, it'll come together. Yeah, it's definitely in the process for sure. Um, yeah. And everything that makes your business better or makes you better as a human or builds your character or your brand, which is also your character. Let's just talk about that. Everyone's like out there building their personal brand. You should think about you're actually building your character because uh, that's yeah. actually what you should be doing and not worried about the quick dollar there, which you also said, which is these are long-term customers. These are long-term relationships we're building in our businesses. So I just want to tie yeah, all that sure. together. One uh, last thing. One, yep, one go last ahead. thing though. And and don't forget don't forget about your family. You know, I mean spend time with them too. It's hard. So but you know, you gotta do it. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, Jason, I'd like to have you on for a part two because I have a lot more questions for you, but I didn't want to take up a lot more time. I know we're both busy and we're both entrepreneurs, but I did want to at least get the first one down because I do have questions on family dynamic and family background and and stuff like that and how you balance all of it and build a business and eventually have your kids involved in a business potentially. Um, but I'd like to save it for a part two if that's okay with you. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And so everyone in the audience, like, um, where can they find you on Instagram? What are the, what's your address? How do they f- book your trucks or how do they get your pizza for lack of a better term? How do they go find you? So let's get real specific there uh, as we end things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are, uh, our name is speak cheesy with a Z. Um, our Instagram handle is speak underscore cheesy with a Z. Um, we are located off of 3950 East 4th Street in Long Beach, California, in the Belmont Heights area. And we're open Tuesday through Sunday from 12 to 9. Sweet. Thank you, uh, Jason, for yeah. coming on the show. I look forward to part two. Uh, anyone who's out there who's listening in, uh, thank you guys. I love you guys. Thank you for spreading the podcast. It is spreading more and more all over the world, and we are having more interest in, all over the world in the guests that have come from you know, Sweden and Palestine and Israel and um, Australia, and we have some down in South America now in Colombia that are taking interest. We may actually go to Colombia and film a few episodes down film and actually record a few episodes down there weirdly. Um, because that's pretty interesting, um, getting that, uh, group down there, uh, coming out of the woodwork and hearing about the entrepreneurism. So what we're doing and what, what we're spreading, it's becoming effective and it's spreading positivity. So thank you, Jason, for helping me do that and helping this podcast, um, reach the world and have long-term impact. I appreciate it. Thank you. And everyone listening again, I love you guys. Uh, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. Again, it's at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs on Instagram. 
And thank you guys. And we're out.